Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Aftersight. I'm your host, Penn Street, and today's guest is Matt Jesualdi. And yes, I probably butchered his name, but I'm trying. Uh, Matt is really, really changing the way that blind people um, and actually even visual people that how they're interacting at different exhibits and museum and through art in general and how that is really changing the world about so that when blind people do go visit museums, that not only is it accessible, but it's also a really awesome learning experience. So when we come back, Matt will share, you know, his passion for this incredible work he does in the journey that actually brought him here today. So stay with us and we'll be right back with Matt. You're listening to Aftersight with Penn Street, an AINC original podcast. If you enjoy what you hear, please visit AINcolorado.org for more shows, news, and articles read by our amazing staff and volunteers. If you have a question for Penn or would like to recommend a guest for future shows, please visit AINcolorado.org slash podcast dash guest. And now here's your host, Penn Street. Matt, welcome to Aftersight, and I'm so sorry if I butchered your last name. Thanks, Penn. No, you did a great job. Jesualdi. <laughs> Jesualdi. Um, yep. And it's it's a mouthful, but it's a beautiful, beautiful last name. Does it, is it, yeah. is there a story behind it? It's Italian, and the, the story that we know is that um, there are two different parts to it. One is that it means of the Jesuits or something mm-hmm. close to that. And there's a town in Italy, in, in Southern Italy called Gesualdo oh. that um, we visited. And oh. it wasn't that impressive as far as ge- genealogy, but we did visit a town um, very much in the South called Bovino. And we were treated like family because half mm-hmm. the town is a Gesualdi. Oh, and, um, there's about a quarter of the town that's Schiapinelli, which is the, another part of the the family line. So we were invited to things that, you know, I don't think normally people would be invited to. Wow, it was nice. That uh, that's wonderful. It sounds like a like a movie. Like you know, you go back to find your roots, and you find this <laughs> amazing town and this these family that you didn't know you had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like a, a lot movie script. Awesome. Well, Matt, um, if you've listened to Aftersight, you you know that at the top of the show, I like to do some questions, just quick yeah. fire questions, so that people can get to know you just a little bit better. And then, and before we dive in, is that all right? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, great. Um, do you believe which is more important, education or experience? I think education is experience and experience mm. is education. So can I say 50-50 as long as you treat them that well? Yes, I do. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, um, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Introvert. I do find that people that are in the arts tend to be introverts, which kind yeah. of goes against what what you're doing, <laughs> but but it that seems that seems pretty typical. So yeah, um, it doesn't help with marketing, that's for sure. Yeah, are words or actions more important to you? Actions. Actions. 
Awesome. Me too. Me too. hundred percent on that one. Um, if, um, what would be more important to you? If could you, if you could see the future or change the past? I think because the only option I have is to work on the future, then I'm going to say, see the future. Mm. Cause the past doesn't really mean as much to me, except, you know, genealogy and ancestors and things like that. But yeah, I, I've, I've contemplated this question quite a bit about if I could go back in the past and change something. I don't necessarily think that I would, and I, you know, the butterfly effect thing, yeah, but right. like if, if you change one thing, well then, will that not make, create me that I am today? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There's a relationship I would delete from my past. Um, I would have told my nine-year-old self to, um, learn more languages, practice more languages, and mm. maybe get into archaeology. And that would have sent me on a different course. And I like where I'm at. So I don't, yeah. I don't think I would do that as much fun as it would be to yeah. have you know, an alternate universe where I could go back and not screw up my own. <laughs> exactly. Then maybe. <laughs> then maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Matt, if you had a theme song, what would it be? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, you could have prepped me for that one. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a weird answer because music, okay. although I love music, it's not so much a part of me that um, it affects me. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Music, yeah. Yeah. It really is okay. One of the reasons I like answer asking these questions <laughs> is because I even feel, I almost feel like the way people answer them or the reaction to it is almost more important than the actual, mm. than the actual words. Right. Hmm. So good. So yeah. I still passed. Yeah. You, you still passed. <laughs> <We can. laughs> My non-answer. <laughs> you're not answer. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on Aftersight. I know you're really busy and you know, the, the, the year is wrapping up, you know, we got through Christmas and Hanukkah and, and now mm-hmm. you know, New Year's Eve is this weekend. And, and I know it's busy time for everybody, but so thank you yeah. so much for being here. Um, pleasure, now, I, I don't know a lot about your background. I do know that you're, you know, visually impaired. Were you born blind with, vis- were you born with vision loss or did that come later? You know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm not visually impaired at all. You don't have to be sorry. Well, that just feels like a, derailed your thought <laughs> no you didn't no you didn't okay. that that's me not asking the question i just <laughs> that's think, all right. i i think it's sighted people take it for granted that everybody's sighted well i think people who are <laughs> visually impaired just think everybody's visually impaired um yeah no that that actually goes right into my next question is so what happened in your life to create this passion? Um, and I did read up on you about how scale, you know, scaling is important, mm-hmm. um, especially for people who are blind and visually impaired. It's hard to teach scale. Um, and the way I can, and maybe I should let you better describe it, which I'll let you, but like mountains, when somebody who's totally blind and has never seen mountains but they know they're big well they think they're always big so it's hard to explain that the further something away from you is it looks smaller even though it isn't smaller and I, that's probably a horrible way to describe it but um no, so fine. but 
but what, how did you ever end up doing what you're doing? Um, you know, how, you know, were you a little kid and like, you're like, oh, this is what I'm going to grow up to be or did uh-huh. something trigger this in your life? I probably had a few different triggers. I had a, you know, pretty typical childhood as far as watching TV. Uh, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television. Um, we didn't really get a TV until I was seven. And then there were three channels, four mm-hmm. if you include PBS, which nobody does. Um, and I only watched what my parents watched in the evening. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they liked, or maybe it was the the least of the three evils of what was on the three channels, um, we watched the Kung Fu series with David Carradine. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And Blind Master Poe was amazing to me. You know, yeah. he was he was the baddest of the badasses. And yeah. you know, there was his backstory about how he lost his sight. And it was interesting, not so much that I thought blindness turned you into a superhero, but it was interesting that somebody could think of that as being possible, that hearing was was good enough, smelling was good enough. You know, he mm-hmm. could hear things nobody else could hear. Mm-hmm. And then Unfortunately, comic books came along and Daredevil corrupted my Aww. my thought of what blind people could do because now he really was a superhero. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it it never really occurred to me uh, until I was in my 20s that there was a disconnect, um, a, such a major disconnect. And so the story is that uh, my um, mom and my brother and I went to France for a vacation in uh, 97. And in Paris, there's a museum for the Middle Ages, and the the building itself was a building that was around since the Middle Ages, mm. and there was a model of it inside. And the more I looked at the model, the more I realized that it had been touched a lot. Um, it coincided with me getting my bachelor's degree in industrial design, and okay. I needed a capstone project. So... The whole flight back, I was scribbling on every piece of paper I could find ideas about how to build an architectural model that was touchable. And I'd been building Mm. architectural models for an architectural firm for about seven years by then. Wow. So I started experimenting, and you know, the, the, the models that we'd been building were untouchable by anyone. They were under a piece of um an acrylic shell. Right. And they were pretty solid. We had to ship them across the country, sometimes to another country. So they were solid, but very untouchable. Right. I started doing a lot of research. And as part of my capstone, I went to the Colorado Center for the Blind for questions because they were yeah. a good source. They were you know, the only group of, of blind individuals that I could walk into and say, hey, what do you think? Yeah. And I asked the dumbest questions, the worst <laughs> ill-conceived, um, ignorant questions that I could. And over the next maybe month or two of, of uh, bringing more items for them to touch and look at and you know, get an idea of what, how blind people see with their hands, yeah. I started to realize that this project was not only very possible, but very necessary. And I built the Median F Tower. It's a clock tower downtown. That was. Uh, That's right. Yeah, it's a beautiful tower. Um, it's very tall. It was the tallest thing 
this side of the Mississippi for decades. Um, I think it was finished in 1911, 1912. Uh, And, you know, compared to a lot of the buildings, it's not that tall, but compared to us, it is extremely tall. So I made the building and I put little people at the bottom in scale, um, presented. I didn't invite anybody um, from the CCB, the Colorado Center for the Blind, to my capstone presentation. I just, you know, had instructors and students. Yeah. And everybody thought it was great. And I thought, yeah, that's nice. And um, I brought it to the CCB at some point and got a very more, a very more, a much more um, <laughs> intense reaction. Um, like positive or negative yes, or a mix? Oh. Very, very positive. Um, very great. emotional. Oh. Uh, very appreciative. And that was the encouragement that I needed to believe that I could move on. And a lot of things happened in between now or then and well, I considered it an expensive hobby for a long time. Yeah. And my first even though I did a lot of things, uh built a lot of models for people, a lot of different kinds of things, experimenting the whole way, always getting CCB involved in um product testing because they were my focus group. Yeah. And depending on their age, they're either brutally honest or very um, um, just generally happy. You know, it just depended on who it was. And then the um, Denver Art Museum commissioned me for something in 2017. And then I considered it a business. Oh, is that when you started your company? No, the company started earlier than that. I probably started it in 2000 or 2001 because I had aspirations. I wanted it to go in a certain direction and it didn't go in that direction. And then it started going in another direction. And, you know, basically I thought museums were going to be my outlet and then nothing happened. I couldn't get anybody's attention. Wow. That is surprising to me, though. Well, why wouldn't it? I had it explained by somebody at a museum, and basically the the culture is that unless you're tested and approved by another museum, you won't get into your second one. So it's that you can't get a job until you get experience, but you can't experience until you get a job. Get a job, right? Yeah. So it took um, it took some decent pushing and um, the right person at the Denver Art Museum to listen to what I wanted to do. And it was a very small part of a very large exhibit that they were doing, but they wanted a tactile element to it. Awesome. Did they want a tactile element specifically so that people could access it tactually, specifically for blind and visually impaired people? Or was it just the overall design and they thought that would be a cool addition. Yes, definitely. The first one I did was called Animals in Art. Oh. And um, uses of animals in art in different ways. I mean, sometimes figuratively, like, you know, paintings of animals that were, you know, uh, not just that there was a dog in the corner of a, of a painting, but right. the, the animals, whatever they were, were more um, more featured in the, the art. Okay. Um, all the way to um, literally, you know, pieces of animals, whether it was fur or nails or, you know, just things oh. that were 
that you could get from an animal. And a lot of right. the, uh, a lot of Native Americans created clothing yes. out of animal fur. And that was the exhibit that I was helping. It was, oh, okay. They had a, a table that they wanted fully accessible. And it had uh, a reproduction of a fur coat mm. and a scale model of the full outfit, not just the coat, but, you know, someone in a hat and, and right. boots. And they wanted to feature the, the three different kinds of furs that were um, part of that exhibit. So there was elk, wolverine, and I wish I could make up something that sounded right, but I forget what the third one was. But uh, there were three samples of the furs. And what I did was build the receptacles for those samples, made it so the samples could be exchanged because you rub fur enough, it starts to get matted and dirty. Oh, right, and then right. Under each piece of fur, I had the outline, a raised outline of the animal. Oh. And specifically because of the wolverine, wolverine, elk, and moose. There it is. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the, the size disparity between a wolverine and a moose isn't, I think most people just wouldn't know how small a wolverine is and how big a moose is unless you've been in the woods and encountered one. Right. So right. I put the outline of a human figure. So all three animals oh. were in the same scale as the human figure. Right, right. And that was that was my first, you know, foray into making wow. scale the most important aspect of it. I thought it was more important than the animal because, you know, an animal's yeah. an animal. So yeah, if there's nothing to compare it to. And what so then so you put together that that exhibit and that kind of got your foot in the door with the museum. And then what happened? Mm -hmm. A couple things happened at that point. That was 2017. And 2018, I made myself a resolution that no matter what somebody said, I would say yes. Oh. Um, because before, I, I was trying to direct TACDED, the name of my company, yeah. into something specific. And I was being too narrow. You know, I told myself I want lots of experience in, in doing lots of things, but I really wanted to make it with museums. And at some point I just said, okay, if anybody asks me anything, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to build it. Even if it's for free, I don't care. Yeah. Two things happened. The art museum asked me if I would do an exhibit for their Rembrandt um, exhibit that was happening toward the end of the year, near the end of the year, actually. And that seemed really fun. Um, they were doing... Um, an exhibit about Rembrandt's prints instead of his paintings. He's more famous for his paintings, but he does uh, did um, zinc and, and copper prints. And they're beautiful, but they're not very colorful, usually not, not colored at all. Um, and um, very, very fine detail in, in the mechanism of how to make a print. Oh, So we talked about right. what they wanted and what I wanted. They're, they're very good about listening to me, <laughs> at least especially now. Because they, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, wow. I'm going to plug the Denver Art Museum a little bit. They were doing tactile tables way before um, they knew me, way before they've ever, um, I've ever, I ever did anything for them. That's good. That's good. Well, and they, I think they too were one of the leaders in museums doing audio in their, in their spaces as well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in Colorado, yes, and yeah. they're upping their game right now. Um, they're working with somebody who's um, 
very good at doing audio descriptions. I'll leave it mm -hmm. at that. But yeah. So they wanted something that would interpret how um, a copper plate was made. And my audience is always visual and non visual because visual people skip over things too quickly. You know, they'll, yes. they'll look at an explanation and skim it and then walk away and not actually learn anything. I think that's where the experiential part comes in because I want everybody to experience so yeah. they can learn it. Um, so, you know, if you imagine the, these, these fine scratches on a copper plate, which is about the size of a, a smaller than a sheet of regular paper, wow. these scratches are about the width of a hair. Oh. And they're, it's, it's difficult to, to show properly. So I built a board that had an enlargement of these three different kinds of grooves that Rembrandt used sometimes. And this is the, the, the point that they were trying to, one of the points they're trying to make is that Rembrandt would sometimes use all three of these techniques in one print, which is wow. really, really tough. It's not like using three different kinds of pens and pencils. It's three different techniques that can contradict each other when you're right. building this image. Um, so I made these three um, enlarged grooves. You could feel them, you could touch them, you could look at them. Um, there was a, a, a slice out of one edge, so you could see a cutaway of them, so you knew what the, 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 the depth of them was. And as usual, I put a scale marker in, because if you just give somebody a model of an enlarged atom, you know, you can say, hey, right. this is a carbon atom. Yeah. And you go, great. It's the size of my hand. What, what's that telling me? Yeah. So these grooves had to have some scale marker. And I put a penny, you know, what, what a penny would look like at that scale. And basically, right. it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's the size of your palm. The, the, the thickness of it is the size of your palm. Yeah, and that's it was just I... the, the edge of a penny sticking out. Wow. So, you know, you're, you're always getting into this, this feeling of scale when, um, when I'm trying to show something because it's important that the technique is there, the, the materials are there, but you get a sense of how big those things are compared to you and you are compared to them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And the other thing that happened that year, and this is a funny story. I'll try to shorten it because it is kind of a long story. But oh, okay. one of my good friends um, was running the Denver Maker Fair for the first year that, that you know, for, for him. Yeah. And that was going to be at the end of 2018. And we were talking and he said, I need a main exhibit. Do um, you have any, any ideas? And I said... <laughs> And this is the, you know, the beginning of 2018. Yeah. And I said, you know, I've had this thing rolling around in my head for about three months. And don't, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want to present it to you. So give me two weeks. So the end of January, um, I did this presentation to, to, to just him. And so three months before that, I was at National Federation of the Blind Colorado meeting. And they were talking about um, what they wanted to do at state convention. Yeah. And they were talking about different activities. And I had just done an escape room. Oh, thought, wow. You know, what about 
and I, you know, it's rattling around in my brain and then thinking, no, that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. That's definitely not going to work. So I just wrote on a piece of paper, pitch black escape room. Oh, and what a great idea. It was fun, but you know, it's one of those things where you go, okay, this is big. It's bigger than I am, bigger than my shop. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, this is not something that, that is probably a one person job. Yeah. So I sketched and, you know, things like that keep me awake and I'll sketch on them. And him saying, do you have a main exhibit? I had to sell it as educational first. Um, I thought he wanted it STEM oriented because he wanted it to be accessible to lots right. of different demographics. Right. And um, he did a really good job, by the way, of making it accessible for everyone. He was going for different uh, economic, socioeconomic de demographics, yeah. um, gender demographics, because maker fairs are notoriously guy fests, and oh, it's okay. he wanted to break that barrier too. So he was going for everything, including um, accessibility of every kind. So wow. when I showed him this idea, he went bonkers, and he goes, "Okay, <laughs> we need to make it bigger, though." <laughs> Oh. So that blossomed into a gigantic eight-month-long project with me guiding this, um, four other people, uh, four other d designers in, in their own ways. We built it in the basement of the uh, Colorado Center for the Blind. We, oh, they, wow. they gave us half of their gymnasium. They have a gigantic gymnasium. So yes. yeah. half of it was a huge shop. And we built everything in it, tested it every day, almost every day. Uh, we'd grab students and say, hey, we got this interaction. What do you think? <laughs> so that's one of the things that I'm very proud of is that everything I do is tested. The, the, I make no assumptions anymore. I, know, I still yeah. remember the stupid questions I asked. And I'm still <laughs> very aware that I'm not the end user when it comes to visually impaired. Yeah. So I have to ask the end users. Yeah. And it, it works. And Matt, I don't know if you know how rare that is. Um, regardless, whether it's something like you're doing or technology, anything, um, mm. public transportation, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We, we rarely have a seat at the table when those decisions are being made for us. And, and you can tell, you know, yeah. there's so much technology out there that, you know, excuse my French, but it's crap because <laughs> it's somebody who was cited that, oh, this is what the blind world needs instead of mm -hmm. asking the blind world <laughs> what we need. Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. That is extremely rare. And I hope you <laughs> hope you know that. So it is. Unfortunately, I do know it's rare. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's a technique called human-centered design, and it's, it starts with asking. Yeah. And that's really what I want to do. That's what yeah. I, I always want to do. I don't want to well, propose. I want to ask. Yeah. And I, I would love, do you remember some of those, you keep saying dumb questions. Um, <laughs> do you remember any of them? I'm curious. Yeah. I brought some examples of, um, um, like I brought a couple um, toys, motorcycles. And uh, they were different sizes. I've got this Evil Knievel motorcycle that I still have. It's, you know, just uh -huh. like 
a foot long. Yeah. And then I bought a little toy one that was only about three inches long. Okay. And I thought I was going to trick them and <laughs> not, you know, not believe that they could tell it was the same object, generally the same object. Oh, um, interesting. I know. I know. It, it was, wow. I've never said that out loud. It was, it's really yeah, stupid. It's okay. It's, no, no, but it shows how people side the sighted world really does not understand the blind world. Mm -hmm. you yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, so I brought car models doing this somewhat the same thing, but different cars. Yeah. And you know, it, I mean, to me, if you've never seen a car, it's unlikely that you're going to touch every single part of a car. If you're visually impaired, you know, right. touch the wheels, right. touch the tires, touch yeah. everything around it. But um, and I took really good notes, you know, noting, um, people who'd been born blind or people who lost their vision at a, a very young age or lost their vision a little bit more in life or a little yeah. further in life, because that's, that skews a little bit of what the answers are, but it, it yes. helped everything. Yeah, um, exactly. people who were born blind knew it was a car immediately. Yeah. And we're very curious about what kind of car it was and that the doors mm -hmm. open, you know, it's, I mean, it's a toy you want to play with it, but right. Right. Um, everything I got was reinforcement that I was underestimating <laughs> blind people. And that, that did two things. It put me in shame for a while because, you know, I just thought I'm, I'm not doing the right thing. This is, mm -hmm. this is really bad of me to even try it. But, it also encouraged me because now I could push further. Yeah. There was there was no no reason to underestimate that population. It was just now how can I challenge that population? Right. right. And that's been the most fun thing, I think. Oh, that's awesome. So how how many rooms did the escape room have? And was there I know I've been in escape rooms, not mm -hmm. they were not accessible on any level. So yeah. I was just there for the friends, but how many rooms? And then was there a theme for the escape room? It was one room. Oh, okay. Um, when I started thinking about it more and more, the <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't worried about the blind people. I was worried about the sighted people being oh, in a pitch black room. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, you put a sighted person in a pitch black room and they're going to fumble around and possibly fall and i didn't want that liability oh okay. um, as soon as there's confusion in something people stop engaging mm. um they'll or at least engaging nicely um it, it, it it's, goes back to teaching i taught for 15 years and if i made something too difficult i disengaged my my students and mm -hmm. I, could, I could see it in their faces. They were just wandering off, wishing they were somewhere else. And right, as as right. I started, when I started explaining it well, they were engaged. Yeah. So I didn't want to disengage people and say, you're not going to have fun at this. It's pitch black. Good luck. Um, yeah. The other thing I was worried about, and this is pre-COVID, but I was worried about too much human contact because... Mm -hmm. um, when you're walking with a cane in front of you, if you're blind, yeah. that's usually the first thing that hits. And then, you know, you might brush elbows or something like right. that. And yeah. that 
that's a demographics that's, that is used to human contact, and it's usually right. fairly safe. Usually, unfortunately, it's not always safe. But right. sighted people aren't really, you know, we've got this boundary around us that if you come into that, this, this circle, you better know me. Right. And yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that, but now that you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, you would, you know, like when I've been in escape rooms, we all knew each other, but sometimes we hmm. were co coworkers. Right. Right. And, um, you know, and of course I had my cane actually one time I might've had my guide dog, but, but hmm. yeah, I think a guide dog or a cane creates its own barrier around you. Um, but, but yeah, sighted people, it's, yeah. Visual, I guess. So, yeah. So yeah. what did you do? How did you create a safety net for that? I guess. Um, it was more of a safety rope. <laughs> if I can take oh. that analogy. Oh. So it was one room and we built a hexagon. Okay. Each, each wall of that hexagon was about seven feet, uh, no, six feet wide and seven feet tall. Oh, okay. And one of the walls was the entry. So there were five walls and five different interactions. Mm. The entry wall we built into a room. So it was basically a rectangle pushed up against a hexagon. Okay. And you'd walk into this first room. We called it the light lock. Um, that, that was not my name. I wish I'd named it. But <laughs> basically, um, when you're in space, um, there's an airlock because you, you're going from space to the space shuttle or oh, the right, right. space station. You've got to equalize. Yeah. So this is our equalizer. People would walk in, um, maximum of five people, and I'd be in there with them. I would close the door and start talking to them. And there would be a curtain drawn between the light lock and the actual hexagon part. Okay. So th they couldn't see inside. Um, and talking mostly about sighted people, the lights would start dimming automatically. And I would reassure them that this is not an escape room. It's a puzzle room. There's mm -hmm. no, nobody else in there except us. Um, okay. nobody will be grabbing you. Nobody's touching you. <laughs> You're all individually. It's not, it's not a haunted. It's not exactly. a haunted house. Yeah. 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 There's no zombie on a chain that's getting longer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, calming people down was yeah. we, we did we did a, a soft opening um i think about a month before and that was something that came out of it that the people reacted well to that calming effect of walking in to a very unfamiliar space that they not only had not seen but will never see oh um, that's right so they followed a rope and there was a rope that we had put around the wall started in the light lock and as soon as i opened the curtain it was pitch black Mm. And they could follow the rope to um, a shape that they would recognize as their wall. Basically, it was just numbered one through five. So each rope had a had a you know either uh, five bumps on it or four bumps or three bumps. Oh right, yeah. They stopped there and they interacted, and I was in the middle. It was a very big space. I mean, each each wall yeah. was six feet wide. This we're talking about right. around uh, twelve or thirteen feet from corner right. to corner on the inside. There was plenty of space. Yeah. And I could tell because it has so much experience already working in that, I could tell when people were fumbling, when they were getting frustrated. Um, and I'd ask them if they wanted a hint or if I'd ask them if they were doing okay. You know, just that calming yeah. nature of, yeah, I know. 
you could see five minutes ago and now you can't see anything. And I know mm -hmm. what it's like. It's scary, but you're okay. Yeah. Um, what was interesting was that the, the difference, and I, I wish I'd taken notes, but it was really hard to take notes and be in the moment at the same time. Yeah. But um, there was a group of blind people at the Maker Faire and um, they went in and there was, there wasn't a huge advantage. And th that was something that I really was disappointed about. And oh, that interesting. I really liked. Yeah. Well, because a puzzle is a puzzle. Oh, you know, that is true. That is never true. Done it, and it's the same. So at some point, I was really okay with that. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd made something that put sighted and, on, and blind on equal footing. Um, yes. Same experience. Which rarely so happens. Rarely really, happens. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really does. Um, everything, you know, like I've, I've read about escape rooms that were um, fo forced to be accessible to the blind. And putting Braille everywhere is not the same. I mean, if, right. if you understand how blind people see, you see, and I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, blind people see one fingertip at a time, sometimes yeah. a palm at a time. And that's yeah. not a lot of information. Right. You know, we can, sighted people can scan a room and get our bearings and not yeah. having that makes things really difficult. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to make the interactions not so big, not a full room. Yeah. So everything is within you. You know, I had a right. couple of kids who had some problems. We, we made um, two of the interactions wheelchair accessible. So we, we were very conscious about height. And if, if someone right. came, came in in a wheelchair, we directed them toward that one wall. Um, but sometimes we underestimated the height of, ch of children. Um, oh, right. They, they do th range in size. <laughs> they do. <laughs> do. So, you know, I think, I think the, luckily they weren't really paying much to get in. They'd already paid to get into the Maker Faire. But yeah. it was a complete success. Oh. Loved it so much that we had a line. Um, oh wow! Yeah. How the, how long did it take to get through the puzzle? We we had to make it twelve minutes. Oh wow! Because um, you know at, at first we were timing it, and we'd say, "Okay, we'll give everybody fifteen minutes, and that should be enough." And then when the actual day came, it was it was a two day weekend, and we set up in the morning. Um, had a few groups go in. And there was a lull, so I walked out and saw nobody in line. And I went, oh, crap. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> this, this yeah. failed. Yeah. Word got around. It's not very fun. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I walked up to the person who was taking names at first, who was guiding the line, and I said, so we're dead in the water? Yeah. And she goes, oh, hell no. No. <laughs> we have a list. And she oh. showed me this list of people with phone numbers and times. So oh. she was going to text people and say, you're up in five minutes and keep going wow. like that. And we were booked an hour after they, after Maker Faire officially closed. Wow. Yeah. And the next so, day we were already booked. So obviously this is something that was, you know, super exciting to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, have you thought of making it a permanent installation somewhere? Yes and no. Um, oh. I know that's, that's a goofy answer. 
Mm-hmm. My first intention was for this, n- not it, because I knew the, the one we had made was going to be somewhat temporary because things were breaking already. Oh, okay. And it was just an experiment. To me, that was the grand experiment. Okay. Um, real quickly, two weeks later was the, um, the Na- National Federation of the Blind State Convention weekend. Okay. Actually, it's, it's, it's about four days, but um, they were at a hotel, and I, I knew I wanted to bring the, the pitch black puzzle room to them. So we had arranged for that, and I had it up for Saturday and Sunday at the NFB convention. Nice. That's where I got more encouragement about it being uh, permanent or you know something like it being right. redone. Because that was my audience. Yes. Um, I know sighted people enjoyed it. I know, you know, we rarely experience pitch black because it's hard to do. There's always yeah, a light. Exactly, yeah. There's always some freaking thing with light yeah, on it. Yeah. yeah, something, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I knew, you know, I was getting some, some interest. But then when, when the blind community said, we want this, I said, okay, yeah. let's talk about logistics. And the thing, it, it always boils down to money. Yes. Um, and where are you going to put it? And how portable can I make this? Right. Um, it was difficult to be portable. We, were, we built it to be portable. Wow. And the first weekend we were at Maker Fair, we had seven or eight people helping us set it up. Um, and the, the five of us ran it. Me and the four other designers. Right. Um, when we set it up for the NFB, um, two weeks later, it was my wife and I setting it up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and we eliminated a lot of things because there were a lot of extra parts that we didn't need. There was a lot of pre-theater and post-theater stuff that we really didn't need. Yeah. Um, we had, I think, in, I've got the number somewhere. I think in that second weekend, we had about 120 people go through it at the NFB. Oh, convention. easily. Yeah, I yeah. go to quite a few of them. and. That that would make sense that there would be that many people. Yeah, and and word of mouth, you know, went further and further. So we got busier as the day went on, and then the next mm-hmm. day, people were ready. But yeah, it boils down to money. And yeah, absolutely. Who, who stores this thing? Right. So yeah. I have spoken to Jessica Beecham, the, the yes. president, and yeah. um, we've talked about doing a smaller version of it, like one or two interactive walls without an enclosure. Mm. Um, mostly because if you're if you're at an NFB event and you're not uh, completely blind, then you'll be wearing um, what are they calling them now? So, uh, sleep shades, goggles. I know. Yeah, they're. I can't remember what they're called, but yeah, it's like a friendlier version. And yeah. they're not. They look. What? They look more like glasses, not. Yeah. Sleep shades. I think yeah. they're learning goggles or something like that. Or, something. I know like it's the word that. goggles. Yeah. 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 But. So yeah, if you if you still have some vision, um, usually you'll be wearing those goggles. So it doesn't right. have to be inside a pitch black room anymore. That's true. Um, but again, it comes down to money and storage. I don't right, store. right. You know, right. I, I would love to be able to, but there's no way. So, so we're still talking about stuff. That's awesome. Well, and I know escape rooms in general. I feel like they what they have it up for like three months and then they have to switch it out, mm-hmm. you know, to get more people to come. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. 
It's a lot of work. It's a lot of upkeep because people yeah. are brutal. Yeah, especially when they're they're panicking under the the clock. Yeah, um, exactly. A lot of things break. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So what's what are you working on now, and what's next? What's next for you? I just finished um, a tactile map for the Black American West Museum in Five Points. Oh, and, wow. Um, that's current to me because they're still doing soft openings and it's still being uh, experienced. And there hasn't been a lot of advertisement for the blind community because that's the only tactile interaction. And it's mm. it's got more to do with the neighborhood than the museum itself. So okay. um, I'm going to talk to them about uh, doing more. Yeah. But it's an interesting map. It's, it's um, I think it was done in the 30s or 40s and it, shows the racial disparities and um, not just disparities, but how many different races there were in that five points neighborhood. Wow. So it breaks okay. it down into blocks and I've got um, textures for every block and there's a legend. Basically I just took their map and overlaid only transparent textures wow. on it. So you can still see the, the original map. Right. Um, because the original artwork was important. And yeah. what I've added is just a tactile element to it. Wow. I'm always experimenting. When when I have downtime in between things, I experiment. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the experiments are fun. They I did a part of a Frida Kahlo uh, self-portrait. And it was an interesting painting in itself. And turning it into something tactile was very interesting. I'd, How large was it? So t to make her life size, yeah, um, I I scaled the painting up in the computer and realized that it was going to be a little bit too big. Mm. So I did an eleven by seventeen section of that scaled up, um, basically her shoulder, part of her chest, her arm, and her spinal column, which was exposed from okay. the front because she had had a lot of um, spinal uh, breakages. Right. So it looked like a Roman column that had cracks wow. in it, the way she painted wow. it. Wow. And um, I wanted to just experiment with that. Um, I just did a series of tactile globes. And mm. um, so I had done some for um, Michelle Chacon um, yes. at the NFB, or at CCB. And yeah. I, I wanted to do a second generation of it because it was... It was the least tested object I've ever done, but it was under a short deadline. Yeah. So I wanted to build a second generation of it and have it tested and got lots of good feedback oh, awesome. from uh, all kinds of people um, at that convention. So I'm working on that. I'm working on not just the design, but the, the actual production of it because okay. I want it to be affordable. I want it to be as dirt cheap as I can make it so it's yeah. very affordable to people, schools. So I'm working on um, production techniques of it now. Yeah. I don't remember. I was at, I think it was at one of the National Federation of Blind International or National Convention. Mm -hmm. It might have been when they were in Dallas. So it was years and years ago. And their national convention always takes place around the 4th of July. And somebody was there. And they had made um, the United States map or uh, flag. And it was probably like on a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. But they had 
it was tactile. So like the blues were a different texture than the reds and the whites. Oh, yeah. And then the stars were, um, but it was, it was to scale us in, it was actually the, everything was in proportion, I guess you should mm-hmm. say. Sure. And I, those things, like they, they flew <laughs> off the table <laughs> because it was, because again, it's something like our flag is not accessible. Right. And so that was like my first real experience hmm. of actually feeling the symmetry of it. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool. So something yeah. like as simple as that was, was really life-changing for me. So mm-hmm. I, I would love to stay in touch with you and find out more about when you have stuff coming up and putting yeah. together, putting together groups. Um, that would, you know, we could experience it together. Yeah, um, of course. Do you, so have you ever thought about mixing tactile with audio? Yes. Okay. Um, the globe that I want to do, um, I'm looking at different ways of adding audio to it because oh, wow. it's basically grouped for continents and oceans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's a small globe. It's about, um, in millimeters, but I think it's about six and a half inches in diameter. Oh, so okay. it's it's small enough for a young person to learn from. Yes. And what I want to do is is somehow add you know be able to add sound to it. The the there's some issues with it. You you either are touching it or you're touching it with something else. Mm. And I can do a talking pen very easily. The problem is with kids. If you lose the pen, you've lost the interaction, and kids oh, lose things. You know, they're, yeah. you can step on them. They're they're just yeah. really dinky little things. Um, yeah. There's uh, there's an app where I could put a QR code on each continent, and you could just hover over with your phone, right? And it would read it. Yeah. My problem is that how do you know which QR code is reading? You know, you mm, you could be physically. Oh. Yeah. Touching South America and your phone is reading North America. Right. And right. all of a sudden you're getting conflicting information. Well, it sounds like a great project to work on. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I love stuff like that. I have added well, smell to my projects. That oh. Was yeah, yeah. I, everybody was like, oh, is your hearing supersonic now? Kind of thing. I was like, no, <laughs> it's actually my nose. I, I have an incredible sense of smell, which. Is it always a bonus? <laughs> yeah, blessing um, and a curse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so well, Matt, I'm I'm so excited about. I I had I was so excited when Jonathan was telling me about. It, I heard your pre-interview and, uh, and, and I I guess maybe I should apologize. I just instantly thought that you were visually impaired, and I don't know that you said anything. But one way or the other, but I think I just took it for granted that it was going to take in my head. It was like, there was never even a question about it. It was like, well, he must be visually impaired if he's working in this area. <laughs> well, I'm taking that as a compliment because if it, if I don't sound like an ignorant sighted person, then I've done well. So I appreciate that. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. good. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. Um, 
what's yeah. coming up and we'll we'll announce it over Audio Information Network of Colorado's broadcasts and podcasts to make sure that all of our listeners know about it ahead of time because we would love to share that. Is there a way that our listeners could reach out to you to find out more about, about TechEd? I think the best way would be an email because oh, okay. the, um, the amount of information I get from uh, anything but my work email is oh, okay. a lot. But when something comes through my work email, I really pay attention to it. Okay, so, so what's your tactic? Your tactic is um, M-A-T-T at T-A-C-T dash E-D dot org. Okay, great. And we will put that in the podcast notes for anybody who has missed that. And we will actually even put it up on the Audio Information Network of Colorado's website as one mm-hmm. of our resources so that people can go there as well um, to keep up with what you're doing. Sure. And that's great. So I do have a website exciting. too. But, oh, okay, um, what's, what's that? Is it accessible? <laughs> that was the but. <laughs> it's oh, not, okay. not as accessible as it was uh, touted to be. Oh, okay. Um, and that's that's on me because I didn't do enough research with uh, I won't say who who is running it, but <laughs> okay, um, they just started using WordPress uh, as uh, mm. an available option. So okay, I have to convert it manually to WordPress. So I apologize okay. for not reaching no. my audience well, but it's basically www.tacted.com. So t a c t dash e d dot org sorry not dot com dot org okay great yeah. great that's <laughs> awesome that's awesome yeah. so so matt i've been asking you a million questions i always give my <laughs> guests an opportunity to ask me a question do you have a question for me um yeah what's the best tactile interaction you've ever seen oh that i've ever seen um well i i used to rock climb a lot and mm-hmm. there's a place down in arkansas which sounds like a funny place to have uh, a rock wall, but it, it's a ranch that is near Fayetteville. And I can't think of the name of the ranch. It's actually quite well known. They have big climbing festivals there every year, but <laughs> I, I really loved it because the trail, it's not one of those you can drive up to jump out of your car, jump on the wall. You have to, you actually have to park and it's, it's a good half mile, maybe even a mile in. And even the trail going in is kind of rough. And, you know, there's bushes and trees and rocks. So, and then when you get up to the wall, it's just, it's dead silence because of of how it's located because there's rock formations around it. So it's very quiet and cool. So even in the summertime, it's a, it's, it's very contrasty because you walk from the heat and the stickiness of the woods into this very cool, cool rock face. And yeah. it, it's it's very different kind of rock. Um, it's very soft, but it holds. And that that's just one of, I w- what I always think about tactile and I think about uh, braille on walls, I always think of that place when I was climbing because every, every handhold, every finger hole was different some of them were rough some of them were very smooth Mm. um and so that was that was definitely something that's always stuck with me sounds great well 
Matt, again, thank you so much for taking time today. I hope you have a fun celebration of our New Year's coming up. And thank you. Oh, um, thank you. And as always, I want to thank you know the whole entire team at Audio Information Network of Colorado. I could not do this podcast without them. All of you, I hope you have a great New Year. Be kind to yourselves this week and find a way to be kind to somebody else. It's good for your soul. Mm-hmm.